Mm, what is that? I'm thinking of the Dalai Lama. Who's Deepak Chopra? I'll find my <laughs> holes again. You'll see. Mm-hmm. And having it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. So you haven't, and you're projecting. <laughs> yeah. Score beans. <laughs> Welcome back to Buckle Up, baby. Episode 18. 18. Not, not the hardest, but it's up there. Yeah, we're having some technical issues yeah. today. That's okay. 18 is a is a holy number in our tradition, Michael. Yeah. Do you want to go down that road again? <laughs> yeah, why not? I don't know. It is. It is an interesting. It's the numeric, the numeric value of life. In Hebrew? In Hebrew. Chai. Yeah. Chai. Do you buy all that stuff? I buy it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll exp- I can explain it quickly. The connection of numbers, of, of yeah. numbers to well, a- in 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 Jewish thought, he the Hebrew it said God and God said let there be light and then there was light in Hebrew. So when God says something, the thing is the thing. The word is the thing. He said let there be. He said let there be light, mm-hmm. and then there was light. So the word actually is light. It's kind of this esoteric idea that in that, order for something to come into being it starts with the word yeah the concept exactly. the idea manifest into <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no that's that's well said so so the numeric value so the way we read it on paper is one way to see the word another way to see it is numerically and mathematically so um i i i favor like narrative and words and letters but if you favor numbers the numbers should also equal the thing in a certain way, too. We've officially become a televangelist yeah. <laughs> podcast. God this is, is Joel Osteen people. talking. Joel Osteen, have these numbers in your life, Michael? <laughs> What's with that guy in his face? Yeah, it's... I don't understand how Tell anyone me. watches... I, mean, I guess I have my own things, but how someone could watch a televangelist and not see right through it? Well, so Joel Osteen gets up in the morning. He goes to the mirror. Mm-hmm. All right, so do you think he's like the word of God? Mm, what is that? What's going on? There's a movie you can watch now called mm. The Eyes of Tammy Faye on HBO. The and it, Eyes of Tammy Faye? The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Who's and that? It's, it's the wife of the first or the second televangelist. Uh-huh. And um, what ended up happening it, with that person? Who's the televangelist? Um, Famous guy like... Uh, Robert the, Robert Patterson, maybe? Yeah, R. Pats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. original... Not. You know, so there. Who's the Who's the other big one? Oh, there's so the guy who just had like there's a gay John Hagee. There's a no the political. I know, guy, I yeah. know, I know. Far, Fowley, Fowley uh, yeah. son Jerry Falwell's Falwell, son. Yeah, Falwell. Falwell was a big one, and then his, he was he, the, in the movie. He was the first, and Roberts the second. He had a son, and that son ran Liberty University. I mm-hmm. think it's Falwell. And Jerry it, Falwell. Jerry Falwell's son, I believe. I forget his first name. But he ran Liberty University, the premier Christian university. Yeah. And it came out two year, a couple of years ago that his wife was having him watch her fuck the pool boy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. very, very, very... Good guy. <laughs> very pious indeed. Yeah. yeah. Which is just... Yeah, is there... It also makes, is, per, makes yeah. perfect sense. It does. It does. It does. Because, I mean, can you be... Can you be virtuous and pious and celebrity? Can you? I don't think so. No? Maybe you can. I don't know. You have to be like a really uniquely crazy individual the, in a sense. I mean, it comes with crazy in some way. When I'm meeting... Meaning if he's that pure, if Joel Osteen is pure, that's creepy too. You're just like... Right. <laughs> what? Like you're lecturing for th- arenas of 30,000 people and you go home and you're like, that was a great sermon, darling. Yeah, I, felt I really the- felt Jesus there. Good night. She probably just <laughs> like... 
I want you to bang me doggy style, you animal. You know what I mean? You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like if he's not normal or whatever, it's not normal to be that cool about it. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You have to, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I've seen funny videos of him, like people, there's some funny videos of people interviewing Joel Olstein and then like, you know, I saw, trolling I him. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the, the, a troll one a couple of days ago. Um, it was funny. Um, he's coming on the show next week. Yeah, I can't wait. We're Joel. gonna have Pastor Joel Osteen on. Buckle yeah. up. It's gonna be very exciting. Sunday morning. He's skipping church for the first time. On the spiritual yeah. Spiritual yeah. reality. Spiritual spirituality point of number. You know, once upon a time I would have said, Ugh, there's no evidence for any of that gobbledygook. I've been I would have been very dry about it. But but I took mushrooms yesterday. No, but <laughs> you know, remember what I said about seeing Jordan Peterson's lecture mm-hmm. and having it mm-hmm. <laughs> What, you've been working me all this time? <laughs> Once upon a time, I, I was in this place. I veered away from this yeah. place. You know, a few psychotic breaks or two will do that to you. Mm-hmm. On the next. Um, on the up. next. On a very up. special. Buckle up. Um, but I will say that presented in such a way that is almost not evidence-based, but observationally based. Yeah. What Jordan Peterson does in a lot of his lecture series, based on what I've seen and what I've seen online and what I've seen now in person is taking the breadth of human knowledge and experience and crystallizing that into a certain message to at least point out that there is something to be noticed here in the realm of beyond hyper-rationalistic viewpoints of the world and perspectives Mm -hmm. of the world and materialistic views of the world. You know, for a long time, intelligentsia was just dominated by this cut-and-dry hyper-rationalist approach of whatever doesn't, work in the scientific method and is whatever is not discovered outside the scientific method is invalid or not true. Mm-hmm. So Jordan Peterson's interpretation of true is more of an all encompassing truth of the human experience. It's what more, have we noticed? What have we experienced? What kind of patterns have emerged are what kind of patterns are consistent in human experience and perception that are worth noting. And this connection between the heavens and the earth, the connection between the word as in a concept and the manifestation of that into actions. These are all things worth talking about and exploring, even if we can't always articulate them in the most concrete way. It's, it's Eastern versus Western, right? He, yeah. Uh, he incorporates the Eastern into the Western thought. Yeah. And not in the same way that's, you know, like these gurus do who go out like, you know, and start talking and still these. Is it, maybe he is one of these guys. Maybe he is a, a sort of guru. I'm referring to the people like, what's his name? When, you know, like Deepak Chopra and stuff who are like, consciousness is not derived from experience, but experience derived from consciousness. And you're like, what? So people nod along. But I think in Jordan Peterson's case, I give him a little more credit because there are cases he makes where it's less, a little less nodding along and more like, oh, wow, I never actually thought about it that if way. If I had to guess, I would say someone sitting in a crowd for Deepak Chopra or um, Eckhart Tolle is the exact same as you sitting in Jordan Peterson. I think you guys are all getting the same things from from just different people. And probably Joel Austin's audience. Mm-hmm. You might, I don't think it's it may as, be as having different the, as you think. It might be having the same emotional effect on yeah. us. But I think what makes Jordan Peterson so appealing mm-hmm. is he's taking this untapped domain or a domain that's been neglected neglected by intellectuals up until his point in the modern day or in the postmodern day that we're in and actually articulating it, articulating it in ways that make them intellectually credible yeah. in the conversation as opposed to, you know, the Deepak Chopras yeah. and these other people who are all good to fill arenas and make people feel good about themselves, but they don't have the respect of the intelligentsia. But Jordan Peterson does. But he takes the he takes 
I mean, he's taking Deepak Chopra's Eastern Buddhist thought probably in, in, in a lot of ways. In some ways, but a lot of his stuff actually comes from Western theology and Western tradition and right, the Greek mythology the and things like that. synthesis of it probably comes from Eastern. I would say that the Eastern, at least the way it's presented, mm-hmm. is not as synthesized. That's the point. What Jordan Peterson is able to do right. in his gift in articulating it is – is that he's synthesizing yeah. things in a way that make him formidable on the stage yeah. next to a Sam Harris where it doesn't look like a joke. I wonder who You know, else? where he's going into the domain with a yeah. deep with with actual understandings of of, of 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 these things in a deep way where when you watch them debate, it's not like the people who love Deepak Chopra are just gonna love Deepak Chopra and the people who love Sam Harris are gonna love Sam Harris. It's a little more of a dialogue. Like they actually are having questions for each other that are valid. Mm-hmm. There's a there's you can watch these debates where they steel man each other's arguments. And they do so really well. I think Sam Harris sits there and respects Jordan Peterson as a formidable intellectual opponent. Mm-hmm. I don't think he feels that same way for a Deepak Chopra or another guy who, who or, or, or a rabbi who gets up there and he goes, this is, can anybody right. see right through this? So, the gospel says so, so. Like Jordan Peterson will never come to say, well, you know, that's because the gospel says so. It's right there. You know, he never just says that. Right. Where you have like preachers and pastors who get up there who clearly have such a biased agenda. Well, I, they I, want people to be Christian. I wonder if Deepak Chopra is just getting straight, more straight to the point than... Like, why, why does Jordan Peterson have to go through the intellect to get to the spiritual? Can't, why, don't, why don't you just go straight to the spiritual? Because, I don't know, I think when you watch Deep Rock Chopra, you're hearing a lot of word salad. Well, you are. Yeah, and a lot of people. And a lot, I, and I think the reason he doesn't get the respect is because if you make up a bunch of fancy terms, if quant- I'm not even necessarily criticizing him, but not? I guess I am. You know, because the quantum mechanical wait, wait, no, realm no, no, of the no, quantum no, mechanical physiological fair, state. You, you don't know, even, you don't know anything he says. Yeah, well, Deepak? Can, can, have you ever listened to a Deepak Chopra's lecture? Yeah, I watched him debate. But when he was, oh, really? when he was relevant, I used to watch him oh. versus. I'm just saying. I've never really heard him speak. Oh, okay. So you haven't and you're projecting. <laughs> yeah, scorpion. Um, no, I have. I've watched, and yeah. it's often embarrassing to be honest. And I have rabbis who are like repping right. for Judaism get up there, and I, you I see Shmuley embar- Bateach debating Christopher that's Hitchens. Embarrassing. It, it's, it's it's embarrassing. Not a, it's not a good. But Jordan Peterson debate. isn't. Right. You're watching something fruitful, and you're like, this is really interesting. These are interesting ideas. This interpretation and way to present Genesis is mm-hmm. not something that you have to sort of take with like a look. I know it's just a nice story, but just let, let me let me live with this because this is my faith kind yeah. of thing. You don't have to make excuses for it. Right. He's actually deriving depth and meaning and something worth talking about out yeah. of these biblical stories in ways that the other people are really just trying to evangelize of faith. Jordan Peters not out there, isn't out there trying to get people to become Christian. So you're not suspect of that. He's not really evangelizing yeah. in that way. I, I just think it's he's just, probably, he's better at what a lot of these guys do than they are, but they're, they're all talking about, I, I think Jordan Peterson and a Hasidic Rebbe, you know, not a Hasidic Rebbe, but uh, Jordan Peterson and Jonathan Sachs probably are talking about sure the jo- same thing. Well, that's why I always love Jonathan Sachs. Right. Oh, that was a big loss. A huge intellectual giant in... Rest in power. Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. Because John- Jonathan Sachs, I felt, got up there and at least had a very honest intellectual presentation of what he found to be meaningful here. And I didn't get an evangelizing perspective from Jonathan Sachs. He says, I'm a- I mean, he had a lot of fancy lines and that were persuasive and nice and... Mm-hmm. And I get that, but he, I, I felt like he commanded, as a theologian, more respect from his opponents than someone out there right. with a very weak, very clear bias and agenda 
you know. So, so me personally, the intellectual arguments do nothing for her anyway. So I rather I rather a Deepak Chopra than a Jonathan. Sachs. You say that, but listen to Deepak Chopra. You mean that school of thought of of just I'm already bought in. Now give me the goods. That's what you mean. Yeah, because I, I I don't think the the muscle we're using is in our brain anyway. It's it's something else. So why? So just let's just. Bypass yeah, but that's the not brain. what Deepak Chopra is doing. He's trying. I don't to, know what he's doing. He a I'm lot of the Dalai Lama. Who's Deepak Chopra? <laughs> We gotta pause. Does he here. wear a scarf? Oh my god, Deepak who, I don't Chopra! Know, I don't really know who Deepak Chopra is. Oh, the Dalai Lama is the Buddhist Tibetan head of uh, Buddhism. And who is Deepak Chopra? Deepak Chopra is like a guy who fills up arenas in Vegas, talking about consciousness and quantum physiology. That he's, he's like a Hollywood guru. Kind of, yeah, exactly. And he feel okay. and, he, and he sells out places, and people go to his books. He the the consciousness of meaning beyond meaning. I mean, he he says a lot of stuff. Right, he's not and Dalai it's all, Lama. Deepak Chopra. No, no, it's not it's the Dalai Lama Deepak Chopra. We can just we can just call it there, Michael. You, um, yeah, I mean that's what the Dalai Lama speaks about. I'm not, you know, what he's in touch with or whatnot. I I don't follow that. So right. Closely. So I would say Deepak Chopra is trying to do what Jordan Peterson's doing. It probably might not just might not be as good at it mm-hmm. as Jordan Peterson is. They're 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 trying to draw on the same sources to give like a, some sort of popular message of understanding of the universe. Maybe Jordan Peterson's just more intellectually honest about it or intellectually honest and intellectually credible yeah 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 and yeah. i also think like he spoke about it in a podcast clip i saw where i'm on said, your side i don't like deepak chopra anymore <laughs> he's on he, he talked about how like when he saw when he announced his lecture series mm-hmm. in a lot of his case he's just as surprised as anyone that people are drawn to this Jordan Peterson. yeah he's like i my first lecture series i did on the biblical stories i did on genesis no. we rented out a theater we tried to sell some tickets three thousand people showed up the first night second night third night Everyone was interested. But this is stuff that he's been talking about for a while. He wrote his book, Maps of Meaning, like years right, ago. Right. So I just, I don't question it really. It's been that way before he was known. I know you have like your skepticism because he's become so, you know, become so uh, well known. But if, in, you, if you follow the history, yeah, he wears a better suit now. But generally the messaging has been very consistent, which just shows you that. Uh, yeah, he's been working on it for decades. His, yeah, and this has been message. his yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. about why. Yeah. Oh no. The meaning of meaning. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't really discount anything he says. I know I, you're yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. You were talking yeah, yeah. presentationally, like. I, I just. I think him. He. He's just not. He's not like a fully formed person. He's still developing and still changing, which, which he is would admit, which is great. But I guess from my gurus, I'm looking for someone more fully formed. Sometimes no one's fully formed until you're dead. Um. There are people who are more fully formed than. Than others, like, like Tim Dillon comment when he saw him on Jordan Peterson in a tux. He's like, he looks like he's in his final form. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a major d at an Italian restaurant. And then he started doing this Irish accent. Oh, how much can I get you? Oh no, why don't you yeah. sit down? No, but he he got so well to to the thing that bothers me. I mean, that's why Tim Dillon's uh, the best because yeah. he, he gets to it better than anyone can. But um, since we're getting a little repetitive on this podcast, but yeah, I don't anyway. care. But I I, I had a I had a. a an experience that Jordan Peterson might be able to to speak to the other day. Um, we've been talking a lot of politics lately, so yes. we're gonna take a break from that. Mm-hmm. But so the yesterday, I'm starting a newsletter. Right, mm-hmm. we had the systems podcast, the episode. Yes, and I decided, implementing daily routines and systems to start doing creative and fulfilling work. Right. So something I want to do is write these very odd, short, short stories. They're very short, a few paragraphs, and like publish them. Um, so with the systems, with the systems thinking, I'm like, let me, I'll just do it and, mm-hmm. and see where that goes. So I started a weekly newsletter where I'm going to, um, 
when I write a story or use an old story that I've already written and edited and then include with that like a little bit of a hook with a TV recommendation and a podcast recommendation just so it feels urgent because I feel like no one opens an email anymore that doesn't feel like newsy and urgent. It has to have like – it can't just be fun. Mm -hmm. It has to have like some sort of like – Okay. Get something out of it. Whatever. That's my plan. So, so I'm taking a bit of a swing. It's like hopefully like a five year, 10 year project. When did this begin? This was a few weeks ago. Oh. Two or three weeks ago. How's it going? You've written, is this every day? No. Well. How many stories are you going to release? What's the schedule? It's once a week, uh-huh. but I'm going to write every day. Yeah. And, and release once the, a week. I guess the best story of the week will go in the. And you're releasing where? For the folks. Through an email. <laughs> the first channel is going to be an email. It's going to be a, day, a weekly newsletter on this cool platform I found called Beehive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if people like it, I'll do it more, more than once a week. Mm-hmm. And if, if someone suggested a WhatsApp message, maybe that might be a better – however people want to get it. But mm-hmm. I'm starting with an email. Um, so, But I, I'm really taking a swing with it in terms of like this is something I really want to do something i think is important for me so like i'm gonna really make the ask usually like I'll just put it out if people find it great if mm-hmm. not not but like i'm too embarrassed to like be like but i'm really doing like hey i'm I'm like texting people hey i'm doing this thing please subscribe like i'm and every email is gonna be like if you like it forward it to a friend subscribe like like a lot of like calls to action like i want this to grow i want this to find its audience it's not for everybody for sure but i think there's like Michael's brain nuggets. Yeah, I think there's a tens of thousands of people out there, maybe not more than that, that would appreciate it. Maybe it's not millions, mm-hmm. but I, I think there's probably like two hundred thousand people in the whole world mm-hmm. that might appreciate this. So over five years, I want to find those people. So I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really pushing it. Two hundred thousand is like Orthodox viral, by the way. Modern Orthodox That's viral funny. is two hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like everyone says a million followers. I mean, two hundred thousand is Orthodox viral. There's a gap of it, but but I mean, <laughs> this thing I say about fish all the time: you don't need. 100 million people to like you, you need 30,000 people to, to love, love you. you. And you can sell at Madison Garden for 10 nights in a row mm-hmm. every summer if you want. So The so thousand I, true fans yeah, argument. So, right. So I'm looking for those people who like when I'm like, hey, I'm self-publishing a little collection, they'll all throw $10 at me because like why not? Mm-hmm. Like <clears throat> I, I love this stuff. So that's my goal. That's, and it's like a project. So part of that is like I went on Twitter and, and like I spent time, you know, crafting a tweet. And like, um, and it was too long. So like I went to this, I went to bit.ly. I don't even know if people use bit.ly yeah, anymore. It's short in the URL. It's not even like a website anymore. <laughs> it's like a consulting service. So I went to, I Googled short URL. Yeah. I got a thing. I got the URL. I put it in there. Finally fit. I tagged the email platform called beehive. I put it out there on Twitter. I'm like, Hey, here's a thing. I'm doing it. Please subscribe. I put it out on Twitter and I close it. And I'm like, I'm not checking a few hours later. I look back and the founder of the email company shared it and my friend joey shared it he he retweeted it um and he has a lot of followers like a lot of engage and like a bunch of people liked it and i'm like like win win for me you know like <laughs> not, not a lot of people but like you know at least you get a little bit of something back right <laughs> yeah and like it felt good okay and and then so so then like when you have a good tweet you just look at it a million times yes. so i looked at it and I, I clicked on the thing to like i wanted to bring it to bring me to my site mm-hmm. and it brought me to like shorturl.com oh, no. the link did not work at all oh, no. and the worst part of it was everyone who shared it didn't even click on it didn't even click the link obviously how do you know because then they, they probably would have said like they oh. wouldn't have rt'd it and they would have like been like right. hey mike you know things broken but oh. my friend and oh. this founder they all shared this thing but they didn't even look at it which was just another reminder that social media is all just like fake and stupid 
Well, um, but it was so gutting. I'm sorry to hear I, that. It shouldn't have been so gutting, but it was so gutting. Why didn't the link work? It just didn't work. It was the wrong. I don't. Did. I don't know what I did wrong. But um, it, it everything looked good. Like it, it looked like it worked. Like it was the right image and and words. But it didn't actually bring you to my website. And um, I felt like I was in like a Jordan Peterson desert analogy of like oh, just at the bottom of the well. well I'll offer so... you some consolation. Yeah, please. Um, you shouldn't write. No. <laughs> <laughs> I've had those moments that were successful, that really did get shared, mm -hmm. you know. And we have this, um, we have this notion in our minds from watching from behind the screen, you know, as we watch the theater of social media play out, that the way people make it, mm -hmm. the way people make it is that one moment, that one threshold. Oh, did you see that got shared by Jimmy Kimmel and then they just exploded. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. It seems that way to us that there's this moment, but it really is that there's a critical mass of so many complex factors that finally come together at a threshold where it becomes visible to you that somebody has made it. The Beatles... You know, we're on at the Ed Sullivan show, right? Is that? Yeah. And played that thing and blew up. And everyone can say they played for 10 or 15 years before that in pubs in, in England. And then be, and then that was the, I guess, critical mass moment yeah. that it finally launched. But for 10, 15 years, they were just working at it. And had they not been doing that, if they got that shot on Ed Sullivan somehow and they weren't ready to play, they would have botched it. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I've had stuff retweeted by the people I was aiming at or by prominent people. And you get sometimes a boost, you get sometimes a this, but then things just move along. Right. And what really matters in the macro is the consistency of things. Mm -hmm. So you're going to spend all day saying, oh, this could have been the moment, this could have been it, this might have been yeah. something. If only my link had worked, it would have made a huge difference. In more likelihood than not, it would have just been a nice day. And yeah. you would have then gone back to writing. Yeah. And it's the people who keep going back and putting their head down and getting to work. Yeah. Um... There's a phrase that I've learned like in the industry, which is, oh, shit, next. Ah, oh, shit, next. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, shit, you know what? This one thing never works. That's why social media sucks. This, this, this. None of that. Yeah. Ah, shit, next. Anyway, okay, let's get back to writing. So in general, I know you think there was a massive missed opportunity or you may be thinking of it, it that way. No. It, and I know it feels shitty. Yeah. But as long as the, the same amount of time, Gary, for a second, for oh. a second, and I know it feels shitty. Shoot, he's taking over. <laughs> as the same amount of shitty you feel is the same amount of good you would have felt in the inverse, and it would it'll dissipate in, in yeah. as quick a time as it does. I, I think you're half right. I, I I wasn't banking on that for anything, mm -hmm. but it was you know you have to take your small little wins along the way, and it felt. I I, I mean I, I thought to myself I was like oh two people clicked on the link mm -hmm. that's really nice mm -hmm. that's really nice and and then it was. Even those two people didn't click on the link. That that's it. It was like it you was mean, even those two people like didn't. My, my they did. My friends, no, no, no. They they retweeted my tweet, but mm -hmm. they obviously didn't click on the link. Yeah, because then they would have said something, maybe. But like it was like I was like I was so I was grateful for this tiny little victory, and even that tiny little victory wasn't a thing. That I, th I think that's where the 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 drop down came from. Of like yeah. I was trying to be grateful. And like it, yeah, but yeah. you got shares. People were excited about it. The founder noticed you. Yeah, and, good. I, I, and a couple people actually subscribed from it. Um, it at least proved to you that it's good. not worth. It's worth something. Is worth sharing. Yeah. Even if it got. The, even if there was a technicality. It was also cool. I'm thinking now because um, I, I I don't spend a lot of time thinking about this. Um, <laughs> but 
I knew I, the story was going somewhere <laughs> bad because you were like, there's no way this just ends all PG. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I get why it's gutting if yeah. like you just can't catch a break. But if you look at it the flip side, you could just say, oh, fuck, the link didn't work. But hey, the founder retweeted a tweet of mine. He saw what I it was well, easy to get his attention. Right, and as right. long as I put my head down and have the work, yeah. it'll speak for itself eventually. Right. So so I did get the founder's attention. And I guess that's interesting because I, I think a lot about how like I was kind of on the content creation train like five years too early. Like in 2007, 8, 9, I was like writing – I was creating content at when no one did it yet, and it, there wasn't an industry for it. Number yet. two pen, number three pencil, number three pencil, hundred percent. I had like a Twitter account called "We Need a Word for," and like I I, I'm not blaming you. Were a memer before there was memeing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was really, and and I was, and I was. It was cool because, like, especially I was early on Twitter, and if you were early on Twitter, it was easy to get people's attention, and 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 then. Not blaming anyone but myself, but like I, I just sort of didn't follow through, mm-hmm. and like then this whole industry popped up, mm-hmm. and now I sit back and and I don't think about this too often. I don't let my mind go there t- really, but I think like if if I would have just stuck with it, I, I wonder what could have been. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm re I'm re I'm reengaging it and saying mm-hmm. if I start, it's never too late in the Gary V parlance. Mm-hmm. If I start now and stick with it, it's still not too late. Mm-hmm. And and it is kind of encouraging because I th- I think I found this really cool platform that no one's using yet, and just like I did in two thousand eight, like I was able to get the founders' attention very very easily. So like I still got it, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm st- I still have the eye for it, and like I- I'll find my holes again, like the same way I used to. It'll just be a different thing. Um, I guess so. I guess that's pretty encouraging. That's sort of like uh, I was just thinking about the phrase "I'll find my holes again," which feels like somebody who's <laughs> going out on the dating market after think, after a divorce. Um, but <laughs> I think that's a Harvey Weinstein quote. I'll find my holes. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, taking him away to jail. <laughs> I'll find my holes again. You'll see. <laughs> I'll find my. What a deep dark line. I'll find my holes again. <laughs> You'll watch me shower from jail. <laughs> you think this will stop me? Jeez, it's amazing. Also, like. Is he alive? I, I thought I was like, did he kill himself? He didn't. He's alive. He didn't die of COVID in jail. He he got, he got he was sick. Bad. He got sick. He got sick, but he didn't die. Yeah, isn't it amazing when you perceive like one thing we talk about a lot, and I will say that's exactly how TikTok was for me. I was semi early to TikTok, but I wasn't even. I remember getting on and being like, shoot, all these people got in early and got all these got this following. They amassed people who were super early. But the most encouraging thing to me was, hey. I remember in college when I had classmates YouTubing and everyone thought it was like silly cat videos and they were doing it and they've built up massive followings. I was way late to YouTube and I'm now, and now I'm coming up to like 14,000 subscribers on YouTube. It's not too late. I started late, but then Instagram, I'm like, look at these people, these creators who've created these followings. And I'm like, just using it to post like just nothing. Mm. I'm not using it as a tool. Missed the boat on that, but I didn't. It's just like, I got onto it, but then TikTok, I'm, semi early on right. it wasn't a household name yet and i got in on it and the next thing i'll just be aware of what's out there and the right. only thing that i can control is me and my creative output through it all and then it lands where it lands but the important thing is that i'm the engine driving the creativity out into the world the sketches the bits the jokes the right. podcasts the music everything is yeah. just coming out from me and i have to just put out that consistent creative hustle yeah. Of doing it, the grind is really exhausting, and it, it's peaks and valleys, and you have good days and you have bad days. But it's like having good workouts and bad workouts. Some yeah. days you really just don't want to work out, and you could take a day off, you could take some breaks. But it's about maintaining 
the fitness of your creativity. Right. And I see, I think I see Web3 the same way I saw mm -hmm. Web2. Web2 is social media, Web3 is whatever this crypto thing is, mm -hmm. but I'm seeing it in the same way of like, I think in five years, there'll be some really powerful cool tools and really interesting things. And mm -hmm. like, I just want to get my stuff in order. Yeah. So when the opportunity arises, maybe I have 10,000 subscribers and like, I'll be able to do some kind of NFT thing. I don't even know what yeah. it is yet. And you start to see like, as you do it more, like I think because we're doing this podcast, yeah. you probably started applying yourself to the other things. It's like, once you start building up these little muscle fibers for consistency of yeah. output, it starts to spill over and you start to do consistent yeah. writing and then you start to do consistent yeah. other things. And you start to just, it's, and I'll make the analogy again, at the risk of just sounding repetitive, it's like when you're physically fit, you're not just physically fit, you can do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. you, if you go to the gym every day and are putting in the time and the grind and doing it, yeah. if you're creatively fit, you can do a lot mm -hmm. of things. Because... It's, it doesn't phase you to say, yeah, well, I'll just post on this now every day or start to filter to this. Yeah. If you look at it from like when you're just starting out, remember you were like, oh my God, what? YouTube shorts, TikTok, Instagram reels, uh, content once a week, long form video, high res video, short form video, low res. It's all like, what? Because yeah. that's like looking at an American Ninja Warrior course or a Tough Mudder, Mudder course and being completely out of shape. Yeah. You got to get in shape. <laughs> you know what it was for me? I think you, it, like on episode two or something, you texted me at like 1030. I was literally in bed and you were like, you were like something needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And and where I was, my, mu my muscle memory was like, it's past 10. I'll deal with it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But, but I, the thought occurred to me, I was like, if I was, if I was 25, I would 1000% get out of bed and do this thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I've stopped, I've stopped doing that. I've stopped mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you call that working hard or hustle or whatever it is, but like, I was like, I, I have my like weird boundaries that mm -hmm. I've set as, as in my thirties. And I'm like, I have to like be better than this. So I got out of bed and I did the thing mm -hmm. and like that muscle of like, even though you're in bed, get out and do the work that has to be done. David Goggins. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess but, so. But you know, there's also no, a balance really to that. Important. There's a balance to that too. Cause then it's like, no, like get your rest. I mean, I, I didn't. You also texted me at eleven thirty last night, yeah. and I knew the podcast hadn't gone up yet. And yeah. I was like, I'll deal with it tomorrow. Like, no, for sure, there's boundaries, but but in the space that you can work in, like pushing pushing myself, like this, this the newsletter is definitely a um a product of that. Of like, there's something I can be doing, right. so I should do it. But again, it's like if you've done a hundred workouts, it's okay to take a, a that day off that you don't want to do it and rest, yeah. as opposed to the first ten. Can't yeah. take a day off in those first 10, otherwise you'll yeah. stop forever. Well, I mean, that's like the it, whole You self. don't want to disrupt the habit-building yeah. process. That's huge because that's like putting in the foundation of what you're about to do in any creative endeavor. Right. And if you slack on that, because it was our episode two, yeah. that's why I was like, get out of bed and do this. Yeah. You didn't um, say you didn't say that. I, well, I don't want to give you credit for that. I totally did. <laughs> no, but, but we did have honest conversations in the beginning when I was sensing a little bit of like, well, let's just, I only give it two hours and we got to, when I was sensing like, you know, how to gauge this. It was like, mm -hmm. well, in the beginning, we're building the habit. So we really shouldn't have hesitation yeah. on whatever hiccups or things get in the way. That's the painful part to get through. It's yeah. like learning an instrument or any new skill. Yeah. It's going to hurt. So right. the second it's uncomfortable, I was trying to push, push through that discomfort. Yeah. You, know? you you went on vacation or you went and away. And you were being a push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went away in the first 10 and we we did, we recorded two in a week, I think, because we were yeah. like, we have to get just the first 10 out. Cause it's like, you, yeah. Then you went away in, in, the, in this back 10 and we skipped a week, mm -hmm. which is like... Like, you know, we're like, it's okay to skip it now. Yeah, yeah. It was like, and it didn't and it didn't affect time. anything. Here we are yeah. at episode 18, just we picked it up. Right. And we did I think two last week or something like that back to back. Yeah. So it didn't trip it up because I think 
it's harder to undo the habit once it's yeah. there. I mean, you could, it could, it would take time. Yeah. Just like it's harder when you're in shape, <laughs> you could t- have a bad cheat meal and it won't do damage. But in those first 10 days, if you're trying to diet, right. I'm going to talk everything we say for the next <laughs> 20 minutes, I will revert back to fitness. Um, it's exciting too. I think with the Rogan and word Spotify drama misinformation, yeah. it, it, it also, it made clear a little bit to me what we're doing here really, which is like, like we're talking, we're getting better at this. We have this sort of space carved out, and like when every all the stars align, we're here. Mm-hmm. Like, like I mean, I th- we probably saw more engagement with the Rogan stuff over the last few days. Pro- probably more just because it's a really interesting topic mm-hmm. that we were already talking about. So we were very poised to like jump in. Oh, you yeah, and like and like I mean, like you saw with Tim Dillon. I, I mean, I don't think his Patreon was so huge until COVID and like he was so poised and ready to be talking about COVID because it was a combination of all the elements he already spoke so brilliantly about like whenever that thing happens it might it might never happen it might be in 15 years but like that's why you do it you're here and like you're ready for it when it comes and and like that's when the pops happen but on the Rogan thing I'm just kidding (laughs) um that is the whole case for systems versus mm-hmm. goals. You do these systems so that when the opportunities finally arise, you are poised and ready and you have a a whole treasure trove of content ready to receive yeah. or react to things going on. Right. You're fully creatively in shape to, to take on it, to take on those things. I even saw now like we we when we get a lot of likes, they translate now better into followers, I think, because people are liking it, coming to the page mm-hmm. and seeing we have a lot of stuff. And they're like, oh, I'll follow this. As opposed yeah. to before, they'd like it, come to the page and be like, eh. Right. Uh, maybe. It's a theory. Do you think we do you feel early to the podcast space, middle or totally late? I see them all over the place in a way. I feel very, very late in terms of what like Rogan and Tim Ferriss are doing. I think unless you can have consistent celebrities on your podcast, you're not, you're never, you're never going anywhere in terms of the two white guys talking and joking around with each other. I think we're, we're right on time. White guys. Yeah. I mean the, the, the guys that you've shown oh, right, right on time. Yeah, like, oh, like, yes. like two silly dudes. I don't know. Maybe they're white. Maybe they're not two silly dudes having conversations. That's like a whole, Michael, first of all, it's market. pronounced White, quiet, sorry, <laughs> quiet um, dude. Yeah, in a way, I feel like we're in a wave of of this happening. A renaissance. Yeah. Well, the, 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 <laughs> Be- yeah, I was just gonna say that. What's interesting is, yeah, I'm seeing them everywhere pop up, but I'm excited to be kind of a part of it. I feel yeah. like you're in the moment of when this is becoming a, th- a yeah, thing to yeah, do, yeah. as opposed to, yeah, I, well, you're starting. Everyone has that. Like, it's not fully accepted yet across the board that the new media is sort of podcasting independent entertainers with their independent niche audiences. Did you see that debate between Tim Dillon and Joe Rogan? Not controversial. They were talking about entertainment and uh, the, the end. He was like, the- Joe, you're such a boomer. You're such a, he's like, he's like, do, do you have any, do you have any, Oh, he's like, do you own any digital real estate? He's like, what? Do you own any digital real estate? <laughs> he's obviously trolling him. That was, that like, was that. I think that's my, your best Tim Dillon yet. Do you own any digital real estate? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what are you, you're such a boomer. Get, you should get a place in the metaverse where no one has to take the vaccine. <laughs> Did you see that clip? But then yeah, they were, they were yeah, talking yeah. about enter, how, how comics, I think they were talking about, I, I could be wrong, but it was about how, what comics should do now. Mm-hmm up-and-coming comics. He's like, they're not going to make it doing open mics at clubs. What they should be doing is focusing on, you know, their own shows. And, their, and Joe Rogan's like, why? Because he's respecting the craft. Mm-hmm. And Tim Dillon's not disrespecting the craft, but he's acknowledging, why would anybody go on late night to do a set? 
Why would they go on those shows? Why is that a goal? He's like, I get it that, you know, uh, Jimmy Kimmel has some certain ratings, but he's not Mr. Beast. He's not Rambo. And Joe Rogan's like, who's Rambo? He's like, you're such a boomer. He's a Minecraft. He's a Minecraft superstar, Joe. You don't know these things. Do you know any digital real estate? (laughs) No, but he's like, he's not Rambo. I could quote Tim Dillon crap all day long. Did you see the picture of the old lady with the gun? No. I'm sorry. I have to bring it up. Half this podcast is us just regurgitating yeah. Tim Dillon, and it's super fun for us to do it. But there was a, another clip that came across my feed, and it's a picture from the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, wait, what is this? What is this? You know when he's like mellow Tim Dillon? What is this one? What is this one? And like, uh, this is a lady in Russia, in Ukraine. She's like 85 years old, being trained by some like militia. And she's like, she looks like 92. She's holding it. And he goes, yeah, yeah, my money's on Russia. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to put my money on Russia. But anyway, he was making the point to Joe about the new space we're in. Mm -hmm. And it's nice to kind of be in it, at least participating in it in some way. Who knows where it'll go? I like that we're uh, in the space. Well, there's a whole whole take economy that I wasn't aware of. What do you mean by take? Like where podcasts what joe rogan does four hour long form conversations mm-hmm. i don't know if we're ever gonna i don't know if our if our full episode is ever gonna go anywhere but though our reels using our podcast to chop it up into smaller content mm-hmm. for like takes on hot issues like people are actively searching for that like you can't get enough good takes mm-hmm. on 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 any particular issue so like us being in that economy i don't think there's like it's not like saturated yet mm. of like an interesting take on a topic being fed to somebody really quickly. Even the fact that YouTube shorts says beta on it. Yeah. Like when I say YouTube shorts, people go, what is that? I like that because I'm in it yeah. and I'm putting our stuff up there. I don't know where it's going to lead, but yeah. we're in the preview part of some of these aspects of, of this content. Yeah. But I will say you strike me sometimes as being very much lured by the cachet of well, you need to have celebrities on to do this and you need to have something on to do that. And I'm curious as to why that is. Well, I, I, I think in the, in you have the, these like rules constructed in your head sometimes. Well, I notice no, where I, you're like, if you, if you don't have this and this, you're not, or, or like this, this need to be credentialed or qualified. No, I, I watch, I'm just, I'm, I'm watching, I'm watching what's successful. And over the last few years, Dak Shepard's podcast is a great example. Yeah. Tell me. Dak Shepard launched, launched the podcast it it is not special. Mm-hmm. He he he's cool and like I I like him and like he's like a an, a recovering addict and so he has like he has like a little bit of like an interesting take. Mm-hmm. He he's just like he's a good conversationalist among thousands. Yeah, that's good. Among thousands. I wasn't doing him. I was doing oh, that me. looks like him. Oh. Uh, among oh, thousands right. of. He looks like com- Zach Braff, like a like an he evil does. brother of Zach Braff, like a cool camp counselor of Zach Braff. <laughs> like like it looks like a sitcom. Zach Braff went into the cool badass machine and came yeah. out as Dak Shepard. Yeah, yeah. They're the same in my head. But 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 I watched I watched him premiere at number one, and then because he's 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 like in. I don't know, B-list celebrity, maybe A-list, or he's married to an A-list, certainly, oh, yeah. celebrity. Like, he, he just he just books celebrity after celebrity, celebrity, and, and that's the formula for getting into the top 10 podcasts. And I, I don't think... You, there are so many interview shows, you need a draw. Uh, unless you do it for... You're confusing one thing. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. You ready? Yeah. He didn't start in podcasting and make it solely on podcasting. So his advancement in what you're seeing 
is on the heels of a career where he already did it's, make a name for it, himself and formed a lot of connections and contacts. It's, it's the same idea. It's the same reason that movies are only based on IP. Like you have to go into an interview podcast with with IP. IP may be your own celebrity or mm-hmm. booking celebrities, well, but but you need you need something so wide rangingly popular already and well known to to for people to discover you. I think. I don't think there's yeah, a way no, to get discovered. Yeah, no, but the only reason somebody like him gets is the more easily discoverable than unknowns is because he was already known. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what you I'm know. saying. Yeah, so either you're already known but or how do your you guest get, is already known. But, but, but there are people who get known solely on their podcasts. Name one that has done it in the last two or three years. This American Life? No, no I'm talking about an interview show. I'm talking about long-form interviews. Tim Dillon does not do long-form interviews. That's this American Life? Uh, a, a <laughs> no, that, that's name not... a long-form interview show that made it solely on its own. Yeah, on, on, with it? yeah, on, on its own merit of like inter- of an inter- interesting person interviewing in- interesting people. Oh. Name one that wasn't part of the New York Times network or, the, or NPR's network. Yeah, what about the success of the a Rangers? lot of these big podcasts that became big because of the podcast? I'm talking about, I'm talking about in the last even four to five years. Like H3's podcast has a huge podcast. What's H3? Yes, they're not – I mean the they're thing ab- huge. The thing about podcasts is I, – I didn't even know about his podcast though, Dak Shepard's podcast until you brought it up to me. It's a big deal. I, I, th- I think he got a, a $20 million deal or a $10 million deal with Spotify, like an exclusive But you deal. could also argue like Joe Rogan's podcast – propelled him so much and I, he wasn't so known i'm, I'm not so, I'm, I'm saying i'm saying that you can't do it now joe oh. rogan did it i'm saying if you start an interview podcast so now, like in the modern the in network. the modern manifestation of what podcasts are yeah. which guy which guy made it because he started a hit podcast and was unknown before in the, in the last four to five years and and i'm not and and a network being part of like barcel network is the same thing as celebrities i'm just talking about like like you're, you're part of this known entity already Right. Either being a celebrity or interviewing celebrities. Does, Mac- but does well, Michaela Peterson's podcast count or she had her dad's cachet she, to kind of cash? She's, to, to, to she's use Jordan it. Peterson's daughter. Uh-huh. I, um, well, okay, well, I'm getting closer. Yeah. If you dig. All this is to say that what we're doing is not that. Like two guys talking is No, we're doing what we're doing. We're indie podcast. artists in a yeah, sense. Yeah, so, 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 yeah. so I'm saying I don't think what we're doing is quite saturated yet. Oh, okay. But like, if someone was like, "Mike, you're trying to become the next Rogan," I'd be like, "No, that's well, silly." No, I, I definitely actually think it is, but because everyone's unknown, nobody knows. There's a lot of people trying. There's a lot of people out there throwing a, throwing a SM7 mic in front of their face yeah. and going, "Hot takes, hot takes." It's happening everywhere. I see it popping up. It's maybe it's yet to be determined who comes strictly from that world. If I rack my brain enough, I'm sure I could find people who I follow who have a great big podcast now. But maybe they just haven't. Maybe it's so new a space that they haven't become as successful as they will become. Meaning the people I'm watching now, it's that there's a lot of people, and some of them are building followings. Right. Um, And maybe eventually they'll be much more even mainstream. The way like Tim Dillon is mainstream is becoming more of a known name to everyone, but he's still sort of underground. There's Um, nothing in the top twenty podcasts probably with two people that didn't have something beforehand. No, even so, probably there's probably even if they had something before, and I doubt there's in the top twenty, like something outside of either like a narrative show or an interview show. In the top, I would be surprised if if there's if there's like a conversation show Mm -hmm. between two hosts in the top twenty podcasts. Um, Charlie Rose. That's interviews. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's old school too. Um, He's not doing a podcast, is he? Charlie Rose is done. He's I mean, done. He, he yeah. was like naked in front of people and got accused. He was a canceled. He was yeah. one of them. He got axed. 
Yes. He got disappeared in our... No second acts for Charlie Rose. I guess not. I was going to say, isn't it interesting, these like fall from grace? Because you perceive sometimes this world of celebrity as this... I think sometimes the curtain is up and you like watching it as theater. And even though you know better sometimes, mm -hmm. there are times where you fall into the whole, there's this other world of like... Yeah, I don't like to think of them as humans. You don't like to. <laughs> yeah. But in reality, and I don't say this with too much authority, but a little bit, having been adjacent to some yeah, of it, yeah, working yeah. with producers who worked with big names and hit like you know yeah. the people connected to the hits right. I, I wouldn't say i've been in the room right. with bruno Mar i mean I actually have been in the room with bruno mars but that was a whole other story um we wrote some songs together you ever heard of grenade <laughs> <laughs> no but he when he was right i i was an intern at a quick anecdote i was yeah. an intern at a studio one of my first jobs recording and setting up recording sessions and things like that there's like they told me they and they would record these um they would use the space to record these sessions for promo and pr and the head of the studio, one of the engineers was like, okay, so Bruno Mars is coming in today? And I'm like, okay, I don't know who that is. I had to look him up. This, there was a time when you had what to look. Was that like 06? No, no. It no. was 09. Oh, no, yeah. uh, it was 2010. Yeah. It was 2010. <laughs> um, and I'm like, Bruno Mars. And I look it up. Who's that guy? And I'm like, oh, beautiful girls all over the world. He was just a featured guy on certain yeah. songs. I want to be a billionaire. Right. He sang so the chorus. So freaking bad. Yeah. He was doing hooks. And he wrote the songs. But I didn't know who he was. I'm like, oh, Bruno Mars. Okay. He wrote those songs? Yeah. I didn't know that. Cool. Yeah. And he wrote, he's written One Day, Montes Yahoo. No way. Yeah, Bruno Mars. Matisseau didn't write that? No. Oh, that's so disappointing. Maybe some of it, but Bruno Mars is at least a co-writer or wow. writer. Bruno Mars has written so many okay, hits. Can I ask you, I know this is the exact type of question you hate, how, hmm. much, how, much, do you, how much do you think someone makes off writing one day? Uh, is, it, is it like $10 million? Is it a million dollars? It's not $10 million, I don't think. Saying lifetime, like the value of that You don't song just call writer. it quits after writing one no, no, day. No, no, I'm not saying that, but like um, I, just that if, for an idea of how much Bruno Mars makes, like... Off of a hit song, like yeah. One Day, what does that bring a, a writer? Oh, it's an interesting question in today's songwriting market because, uh -huh. you know, oftentimes the way it's structured is like writers who have publishing deals mm -hmm. will get a big advance up front. Here's a lot of money so that you can now be free to and, and, and to go and write uh, songs with different people. You don't get to that after a little bit, but publishing advances, publishing advances can be quite significant after you've written a hit song. So it's like proof of concept. This guy's a great writer. So you get money in that way, and then you get a lot of back-end money um, from the use of songs. In, I don't know, you know, the use of songs in, in uh, sh any kind of royalties that generate mm -hmm. on the back-end. Any licenses of that song one day used for the Olympics, you know, they're the, the, the labels who own the master recording of that song and the publishers are negotiating to... Uh, our friend would be very happy with where this podcast is going, by the way. Um, so publishers, labels, the, the, the label owns the recording of the song. The uh -huh. publisher owns the actual song. And, and, and Bruno Mars is partially a publisher. That's a whole separate conversation. Okay. But there's two copyrights for a song. Mm -hmm. There's the recording. Yeah. And then there's the song. So the, when somebody the song is the lyrics and 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 the you know, like someone if I did a cover song of one day and recorded it, the label wouldn't own that. But Bruno Mars and the publisher would. Right, the song of it. The so song, someone, the intellectual property. When that someone is the buys song. their masters, they're buying the recording, recording, just the recording. So cool. somebody sells their masters. Labels are generally in the business of owning master recordings of songs, and publishers own the actual songs. So then, when the Olympics goes on and one day plays, the recording and the and the song itself both have to get paid. Sure, it's called cool. the sides. They say the sides. paying the master side and the publishing side. Cool. Um, now you'll get you know if they negotiate you know. Uh, 
you know, $200,000 to use the song, Bruno Mars will get paid on that licensing fee and his publisher will get paid. They split it, the writer's yeah, share yeah. and the publisher's share. And the label will negotiate a, a master sync fee to use that song. So that's one stream. But then it gets played on the radio and you're making public performance royalties. A radio play is considered a public performance. Performance is a like, radio station pay, pays every time they play a song. Yeah, you get that. you get public performance royalties on that. Yeah. I believe it can be complicated because if you're unknown, sometimes you're paying for radio campaigns to play mm-hmm. your songs. But at the end of the day, you're getting back in on. But with streaming and everything, you're getting a little bit of that, not not a ton. But I'll, you know, in today's mo- and and it used to be the biggest thing was mechanical royalties, which were the sale of the record. You know, you wrote a hit song back in the day and it sold a ton of records. You're getting paid every time the record gets sold. Nine point one cents every time a record gets sold was generally. 9.1 cents per record. It was mm. a, it was a shitty rate, but that's that's what you would get on a mechanical royalty of a of a record. But we're not selling records anymore. Right. So for strictly the songwriter, you know, they're they're in a bit of a amorphous place with how they should be compensated mm-hmm. because you're getting a bunch of that, you're getting a bunch of revenue from back end royalties and streams and and licenses and stuff like that. But people aren't selling records in the same way. Mm-hmm. So um it's hard to quantify from one hit song how much it's a hard question to answer. I guess can you give me is it 50, is it closer to 50 million or 1 million? If I'm ballparking yeah. one. Okay. All right. <laughs> not, there you have it. Not 50. <laughs> that's just an educated guess. Right. 50 million dollars from one I don't know hit how much song. is like celebrate good times. Come on. That's, oh, that's over the not course of a career I, I hear you but what what he's really getting is holy shit who wrote that song what a hit song or I'm going to put him in the room with every single I'm not um, interested in that. I, I want to know at what point you can call it. I get it. It's not a lottery, Michael. It just <laughs> isn't joking, a lottery. I'm joking, I'm joking. But a hit but song, a hit song can do that. a ton I'm for you. About that. It can give you the nego- A hit song is like anything. Somebody says, "Wow," a publisher's come up to you and say, "Hey, I'm going to offer you an advance. I'm going to renegotiate your publishing advance. I want to give you, you know, a couple million dollars or a couple hundred thousand dollars to sign with me exclusively yeah. as as one of my artists, and I'll put you in the room with all these different people, and we can generate hit yeah. songs because hit songs drive traffic to yeah. concerts. Hit songs do everything. It's all pop songwriting. It's all the hit songs that fill the arenas. You know, it's all right. you know. One day, what, everybody sing like that's the value. So it's a question of where it lands. I, the, I'm, I'm curious about it in the sense of like, uh, like Bruno Mars. But walks one into hit a, wonders. They didn't like just yeah. retire on that. But Bruno Mars <laughs> walks into a room, and I think of him as a, like a great, maybe even like iconic artist. I don't necessarily think of him as like a a very, very, very wealthy man. Like in the same way, like 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 does like when he walks into a room, does he have a hundred million dollars? Or do, like I'm just curious, like how rich is Bruno Mars? Like, or like we we th- I guess we think of like Jay Z as like uh, 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 what do you call that? Like a maven, not a maven, a mogul, a mogul. But mm-hmm. like it's uh, it's interesting to think of these artists as also very powerful, wealthy people. I don't know why that's interesting to me. I think I can explain it to you. Yeah, because in the same way, a finance think, person. Yes, is, you I know. think in finance. You perceive them and money as one and the same. They're in the business of money. All they do is tra- – everything they do is transactional yeah. in a sense. And artists and actors, they're all wealthy too. But you don't ascribe power to them for, for, for whatever like reason. George Clooney I think is a billionaire. Right. And I'm sure they it's have tons of wild. business going on too. And yeah. they're all wealthy. But it's very easy for you to know why. When you see an artist, you're like, yeah, Bruno Mars is wealthy. I don't even think about it because it's so obvious to me why he's wealthy. You can attach his – his wealth as earned and accepted because what he's giving is so out in front finance people, investments, investors, businesses, entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. they're creating things and providing value in ways that are much more complex 
to understand conceptually than an actor's amazing performance. Bravo, he deserves all the money in the world. The, 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 the value given and the value received is, is very uh, obvious and easy to uh, comprehend. For, from from a third party observer, you're observing Bruno Mars write a hit song. You like the song, and then his uh, and then his arena gets filled with people. I, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's it for me. So why do why why I, I, why don't you describe I, why isn't I, Bruno Mars powerful? I, even though he might have as much money as a finance guy. I listen. I listen to because uh, I don't even agree with your. I don't agree with your assessment yeah. that money equals power in the way that you do. I listened to an interview with Rob Deerdeck, who's the guy who had Fantasy Factory on MTV, and he has a. Uh, um, it's like this Tosh.0 type of show on MTV. Mm -hmm. he, he was explaining that 60% of MTV's airtime is filled with Rob Deerdeck content, hmm. which is, first of all, wild. Okay. But he, he was talking about it from the perspective of he was like he, – he came up as a skateboarder yeah. and, like, and like he was very, very rich in his like 20s and 30s because he was just crazy and like had all these shows and deals and whatever. Mm -hmm. But, he, but he, he said like I think around the time he, he turned 40 – he realized he was sort of like, like young rich almost. Like he had a few million dollars, mm -hmm. but like he he sort of started looking around and realized like there's like me rich, and then there's like generational wealth, fifty hundred, five hundred million dollar people, and like he he just spoke very interestingly for like an hour about like wanting very badly to get into these rooms and into sort of this club of people with that much wealth. It, it, it was just an interesting. It was just an interesting podcast to listen to, but I never, so it's interesting for me to think about people that are on that level. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I'm just thinking about well, that lately. I don't we know. talk about this in the band all the time. Yeah. We apply sort of our own, the success that we've had in the endeavors we've had at the level that we've had it. And there was a time when I said, man, if only I had a song on TV be just i'd be set mm. man like all oh, these guys they have these songs in the commercials and the movies like you see those songs you romanticize it and pedestal it as some lofty goal mm. and i don't take anything away from the fact that i've achieved that and i've had stuff in that vein and i know how it's perceived because i once perceived it that way right like you sort of put everything into this category of the dream mm -hmm. but then once you get there you just realize that you're at the you know, the, the top of the hill, the bottom of a mountain. And if you apply that same thing up the scale, I guarantee right. you, yeah. Bruno Mars doesn't go, I fucking made it. I don't think he does. I know it's hard to imagine. No, I'm not even, even though he's I'm playing, even, even though he's playing the way. Super Bowl. I'm not really thinking about it that way though. No, but the way you just described this whole perception of, I want to get in the room with that level. I want to, and I'm sure there are moments like that where you're with people, but we're perceiving the world. You're, you're, you're yeah. perce presenting a world in which there are these like, casts and hierarchies to get through and then once you're there it's a whole different thing and my experience has been it's actually once you get there you're like oh i'm coming behind the curtains and the flash and the rolexes and i realize it's a lot of just really hard-working people keeping their head down and doing everything they can and, and a lot of talent and yeah. skill but a lot of ad admirable hard work and crazy amounts of work yeah. ethic and and applying yourself in that way it's much more of that and much more of you know it's much less of a, a arrived at paradise yeah uh, yeah, uh, dynamic and sure, setup. Yeah. Then, then as opposed to you know what, it's just a constant yeah. hike up the well, hill, well, hike up the mountain. Well, it's interesting, I guess, because having is that not what you were saying? No, I, I don't think that's what I. No, I, I appreciate I appreciate that part of it. I, I think maybe what I'm trying to say is is having a few million dollars is like awesome. Mm -hmm. Having a hundred million dollars is a responsibility, 
And like it's it's curious to me to think about Bruno eh. Mars managing that much wealth. It's it's just it's just it's interesting to me but, to think about. But, I don't know that part of his life. Like, how does Bruno Mars manage that much wealth? But when you, I mean, we're in this space now of of like follow your dreams porn on online of all these media types and how to and wealth is is become a popular is become pop culture uh-huh. like the the glamorization and the like proliferation of wealth content and motivation making it in the billion millionaires club in the billionaires club you want to get to that there's a lot of that package stuff out there but if you really look closely at the Elon Musks of the world and these these people who have crazy amounts of wealth and success Mm -hmm. don't you ever get a sense from them that they're talking to people who are perceiving them one way and they're looking at them back and saying you don't really get it like yeah you think he said like elon musk once broke down he's like all this anti-billionaire bs and he said yeah sure so i own a percentage of amazon percentage of tesla and that's and that's kind of how it works but i don't just have i don't just have what you think i have i don't have this life that even though it looks that way i think what what Elon has is a ridiculous amount of stress. That's what he really well, has. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. Managing like, I, an insane an insane amount right, of business but, and companies, and like we think it's Bruno like Bruno Mars has that too, of course. And and I just think of him as like sitting at a piano, being like, but like he has this like enormous, massive like life, right? To manage, yeah, to manage, and like I want, I'm just, I wonder what does he invest in? Does he have like real estate? Does he have that's interesting? Like like a fund or something? You're purely curious. I'm just purely curious. Yeah, I'm I'm not really like porning him of like he can do whatever he wants. I'm just like, but like not just him. A lot of these artists that we think of as sort of just like. Oh, you're cool. You come on the radio and play a show. Like they have these massive spheres of influence and life and probably tons of people trying to like, you know, what I have heard does happen with accumulated wealth and prominence and success. Mm -hmm. That is true to some extent is it becomes harder and harder to get to that person. In other words, there are more barriers Uh to them, right? Which becomes like a filtration system because the, you know, Tim Dillon said to Joe Rogan, you have a lot of people now who want things from you. You know, you have this platform. People want yeah. things from you. He goes, yeah, I have four phones now. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, you're in my, you're in my A-phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he said, you, you, that's one thing that I've heard just not, not personally, obviously, yeah. but people said you have to put these barriers in front of you yeah. a little bit. So sure, Bruno Mars, pro, I'm sure, has assistants, managers, accountants, business managers, business guys, everybody specialized to yeah. do things because you can't manage that kind of thing on your own. But there is a part of him, I can tell you, that is also sitting at the piano going dee 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 So you were an you intern know. in the studio, and what you did know, you see? You know, and so, I mean, it starts from there. That, that and I would say, is, is the Iron Man uh, engine, uh-huh. the thing in his chest. For someone like Bruno Mars, that's driving the business. Like, that ability, that yeah. skill... That's at the core of it. And I always find it funny when I, I, I don't kid myself sometimes with certain relationships that I have where everyone's all friendly and nice. And I'm like, and, and I don't, and it's not disingenuous, but I'm also like, we're friendly and nice for a very particular reason. Like you like a certain thing I've done. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we met in that context and you're very, and like, we're like collegial and friends now. And there's, there's I, relationships I have like that. But I know that, and it doesn't take away from it, but just as a matter of fact, it's not based on like childhood memories or bonding. It's based on the fact that you loved this song that I did and it proved that I was competent and whatever you, or that our band did. Like, that's why you're like, you know, that's how it came about. So what does that have to do with the Iron Man heart? That, that a lot of, a lot of, I would, but my point is that, that a lot of the success is driven from a place of what he's able to do talent wise. 
No, it's or... just gi- driven from his abilities and talents. Oh, I gotcha. How, and then he applies that and puts it out there. The people around him and the empire he's built, I mean, he has his parents and his right. close friends and his close circles. Right. And then there's everybody else. Like, what is it about Bruno Mars that's still driving it? It's uh, that Iron Man thing I'm talking about is the fact that he can write right. a fucking hit. So that's wild. I get, I, he I'm, can get in yeah. there and write a melody right. and you go, oh, that's awesome. So compared to someone who's just been skimming off a penny from trillions of transactions with like corporate bonds, it's like- Well, maybe that very, person maybe that person has a, has an ability too to generate like- Yeah, that's a good point. They have an ability. You're taking it away from them because it doesn't point. emotionally move you. That's a good But point. that person has an ability too. Otherwise, why doesn't everybody just do that? That's a good Go point. make a billion dollars doing a random actuarial transactional bullshit. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for me emotionally. And I think the reason they get so demonized is because their their motives are very clear. They're not trying to make something other than money. Hmm. But it takes a lot of skill and ability and ethics to do it, yeah. work ethic to do it. So I'm just saying what's driving all of that is Bruno Mars' ability to sit at the piano and write a killer hook. Let's mm-hmm. and, and I don't that doesn't if anything, that's just just to be clear. Yeah. You know? My point is um I was in the studio with him. Uh-huh. I didn't understand, I didn't know who he was. He comes in with like a, a posse, like a group of people. Mm-hmm. His like one guy is his co-writer from this. I found out later one of his like fellow co-writers who's written a lot of songs with him. Um, one of his guys in the Smeezingtons was a Tenafly guy. Smeezingtons? Yeah, his writing group is called the Smeezingtons. Uh-huh. They wrote like his first album and the like. His producer, one of his producers that he works with, was a guy in a band I used to play like in high school with. We used to do shows together, and he was a no Tenafly guy, and he would talk about it back in the day. Yeah, I'm working with this guy, Bruno Mars, is working on some tunes. It's just like any other artist, aspiring pop cool. artist. <laughs> the point is, he gets in there. I plug it all in, ready, set up to go. Just an acoustic guitar, and I was just ready. Hips record. Catch a grenade for you. I never, no, I never even heard these songs. No one had. This was before the run. You know, he starts playing. Easy come, easy go. That's just how you live. And we're all like, everyone's heads just turn, pin drop, undeniable. I was just like, and then, I'll catch a grenade for you. That whole, everybody, his whole, every, it was, it was mind blowing. Yeah. You know, I'm like, cool. and I was like, I still have the recording somewhere. I have it on a drive. I like I have it on a hard drive somewhere. I have it somewhere. That's really cool. But I was like, uh, I, it's an, on an old hard drive that I have to like, I have to like. I Do you know. technically, should you be getting paid for every time that's played? No, I was just the recording assistant. Oh. But I looked over, he's playing his hits that were, yeah. and, I, and I'm watching him play these songs. Uh, Today I don't feel like doing right. anything. And I'm just like, damn, that, this guy is something else. And then a week later, he explodes. Oh, yeah. A week later, I'm like, Bruno Mars, SNL. It's just, you know, like when you learn a new word, you start to see it everywhere. I learned of a new artist. Yeah. He wasn't huge yet, but he was about to be. And I'm sure a lot of people knew that in his circles and labels and whatever. But he wasn't a household name yet. I I went home. I was like, yeah, I saw Bruno Mars. Who's that? I don't know. Some some guy. I think he sings that song. Oh, I know that song. He's everywhere. The next week. And I was like, oh, that was cool. So (laughs) what did you walk away from that experience with? That I suck. No, um, well, he was like, Bruno, nice to meet you. And he's like up to my shoulder. Hi, Bruno, baby. He was up to my shoulder. You know? Um, Was he really? Is he short? Oh, yeah. yeah. He's under, he's like five, and he's very short. A lot of these guys are super short. I wouldn't take a billion dollars to be that short. Um, But uh, what did I learn? I just, I, I'm, my natural temperament is not, I don't get discouraged by hype. Insanely talented people. No, that kind of experience. I, I get encouraged. I you. was just yeah. like, man, that was awesome. Yeah. Um, what did I take away from it? What I take away from it is yeah. is that the the guys the stars are are stars for a reason. They, they oh yes, it, you know? that 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 talent is rewarded. 
Yeah. Talent plus hard work and, is definitely and also rewarded. To, I mean, like, we all have that undeniable talent part of ourselves, and to see that on display is, like, a really inspiring, beautiful thing. And you want to find it in yourself after that. Artistically, it was interesting to hear a song stripped down, acoustic, mm-hmm. before I heard the hit song on the radio. Because the next week or two, over the next months, I, it was all Bruno Mars everywhere. And I heard these songs all polished and produced. And maybe had I heard them, I would have been like, oh, it's a cool pop song. And it wouldn't have had the same impact as when I heard him just do it acoustic. I was like, that is an amazing song. Oh, wow. That's probably the biggest impact it had on me because I was like, Hits are hit. Not just talent is rewarded. Hits are hits for a reason. Mm -hmm. At that early stage in my career, I was like, pop hits are not to be discarded and ignored. There's a reason. Every pop song you hear. And it it definitely affected me years later as I began to write with the band and we would sit down and you'd write at the piano or the guitar first. And the reason you would do that was if the song works there with very minimal production Mm -hmm. and nothing happening, if it works there and you're just singing it, you're like, okay. And anything we add to it will only enhance it. But oftentimes you throw in all this production and craziness, but the song itself is not, hmm. you know, it's like if the writing of the screenplay is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I really... You know, you put the you put it into film. It's going to only enhance well, the words. You, you know what it is? If, if if you can't sit down and tell somebody the story, mm-hmm. it, it's because the story sucks. It doesn't work. Exactly. So the point is, when I what I learned from Bruno Mars in that moment, and then years later, again, rediscovering it is melody, lyric. That's the song. And I am a believer of that. And it kind of goes in waves. You hear a good groove, and sometimes it's an infectious bass line, but melody and lyric, that's the foundation. That's the song. That If I could just sing you something, and you're like, oh, man, you're in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Not to say you can't balance it, and, of course, you can hear vibe, and you can hear not every lyric necessarily has to slay. There could, there's, stuff, there's stuff that just works for all sorts of reasons. But generally speaking, I learned a very important thing about lyric mm-hmm. and songwriting, watching Bruno Mars and then later doing it and watching how we work in the band and creating our own really records, cool. melody and lyric. And don't be distracted by the other stuff until it's time to put that stuff in. That's a beautiful message. Melody um, and lyric, don't be distracted by the other stuff. Tell the melody and lyric. Buckle yeah. up, episode 18. <laughs> that's a shitty melody. Yeah. It's just a vamp, whatever. <laughs> Um, All right. That's a good one to wrap that up on. That was good. That uh, was nice, man. Yeah, yeah, took a little break from politics. I like these conversations. What about the N word. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's nice to talk other stuff. We free are free Rogan. Free Rogan. <laughs> we are a song. We should we should encapsulate it all. A melody with the N word and Rogan. <laughs> oh God. Um. Anyway, a break from the heated political stuff. It was all on my mind last week, and oh. I'm glad it's not because I can I can like think about other things and there are other things to talk about and hopefully our friends who watch this and our fans of this will enjoy this episode yeah <laughs> that's buckle up episode 18 Michael I got your grenade for, for ya, ya.